Happy New Year, and welcome back to another episode of Warehousing Unboxed, an IWLA podcast. Today we're talking technology. It seems like everywhere we turn, we come across a new technological buzzword in the world of warehousing. So, how do 3PL-based companies identify today's and tomorrow's most valuable tech to get ahead and stay ahead? And how do these companies know when it's the right time to implement these technologies? IWLA's Director of Professional Development and Convention, Will Carton, sat down with three warehouse technology experts to discuss the future of 3PL and how today's warehouse leaders can harness emerging technologies and trends to become the industry's leaders of tomorrow. So, what are the top tools and trends in warehouse technology, you ask? Well, first up on our list is the rise of artificial intelligence, or AI, in the warehouse. It's not just robots moving boxes around anymore. AI is helping warehouses optimize every operation across the warehouse floor, from predicting demand and inventory levels to enhancing route plans and identifying operation risks in order to promote safer and more efficient logistics. Imagine a warehouse that thinks and adapts on its own. That is the power of AI. It's more than automation. It's real-time, data-driven, plain language power in the hands of operations experts. And speaking of data, we can't forget about the power of analytics. In the age of information, warehouses can leverage data like never before. New, user-friendly tools are decoding patterns, predicting trends, optimizing processes, and providing more sustainable practices, turning raw data into actionable insights that drive informed decision-making across the warehouse landscape. Next on the list is the Internet of Things. We are not just connecting our smartphones and smart homes anymore. We're connecting entire warehouses, smart sensors, RFID tags, and connected devices are creating a seamless web of information, allowing warehouses to track and manage inventory in real time. With IoT, warehouses can monitor conditions like temperature and humidity, ensuring the quality and safety of goods. Warehouses can become connected ecosystems empowered to be proactive and not reactive. Cloud-based warehouse management systems, or WMSs, are quickly becoming the backbone of modern warehouses. It's not just about storing data. It's about accessibility, scalability, and real-time collaboration. With the cloud, warehouses can stream their operations, scale down or up as needed, and enable remote access to critical information. A warehouse at your fingertips, no matter where you are in the facility. We've covered some of the important technology trends that are changing in the industry, but how are these affecting the day-to-day -day business operations? That's where our experts come in three industry leaders and key players in warehouse technology. Please enjoy CEO of OneTrack AI, Mark Jinyoshi, COO of Carton Cloud, Sean Hagen, and former president of 3PL for Made4Net, Chris O'Shell. Welcome, everybody, to Warehouse Unboxed, an IWLA podcast. My name is Will Carton, IWLA's Director of Professional Development and Events, and I'm thrilled to be your host for Episode 5, Warehouse Technology Trends 
in 2024 and beyond. Today, I am joined by a panel of 3PL powerhouses, Mark Genyoshi, CEO of OneTrack AI, Sean Hagen, COO of Carton Cloud, and Chris O'Shell, owner of Zethcon, now made for net Gentlemen, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, maybe a brief summary of your career history in warehousing, as well as how each of you came to be leaders in the industry? Mark, can we start with you? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited for this discussion here. My background in logistics actually started in the manufacturing world. So I used to work at BMW's Advanced Robotics Group in Munich, which is also where I'm from. And we would build robots for the production lines. And these robots were supposed to work next to humans. And when we were analyzing the efficiency and the throughput of those robots, we identified that every once in a while, the robot would sit idle and not do anything. And it turned out that people had to run into the warehouses with binoculars, trying to find misplaced car parts. And keep in mind that a factory at BMW is making a couple cars every minute. So that you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of downtime is really expensive. And that opened my eyes to the opportunities in the logistics world. And in 2017, I started and founded uh, OneTrack. And we've been in the market since 2019 really helping address some of the most critical challenges around visibility and labor performance in warehouses today. At this point, we're in a couple hundred warehouses all across North America. When you walk into a supermarket, you probably buy product that's been tracked by our OneTrack system. Fantastic. That's a great story. Sean, how about yourself? Thanks very much, Will. And uh, very happy to be here and uh, feel very unlucky to have to back up that far more <laughs> interesting story from, from Mark on how he got into uh, where he is today. Um, my, my background was actually originally in corporate finance and law, uh, and I then transitioned through a few technology startups before um, sort of getting introduced to uh, the sort of logistics space in 2018. I've been, you know, part of the Carton Cloud team since that, really focused on our sort of growth journey there originally in Australia and New Zealand and now into North America. And uh, it might sound like a cliche, but logistics was a little bit of love at first sight for me. I, I really grew to appreciate, I think, the, the richness and complexity and also the role that logistics businesses played in what I had probably taken for granted in my everyday life. And particularly at Carton Cloud, I think the thing that's really kept me motivated and, and connected has been uh, the ability to work with the small medium businesses in the space and really growing to appreciate the importance of what they do, um, but also their sort of need for a specialized sort of service provider. And I think that seeing that everyday impact that you can have on their sort of lives and operations has been kind of what's kept me motivated and yeah been lucky to be part of a great company that's achieved some some great success and yeah learn a lot more about the industry in that time and yeah looking forward to our, our conversation with the group today fantastic and hey you did just fine following up <laughs> i lo love it first sight i like it uh and chris do you want to round out the the three introductions for us certainly thank you will and it is it is great to be here i think this is a terrific format and a, a great way for the for the IWA to help the the member warehousing companies. I've been with in the logistics world really since the mid 80s. I joined Zethcon in 1988. They had already developed a number of warehouse management systems, custom software back in the day, and as time went on, we became involved really with the third party world in in the late 90s and found that there were many challenges associated with third party logistics that just hadn't been met with the broader array of warehouse management solutions that were out there. So we chose at that time to really become more of a specialist uh, than a generalist and really focus our energies on the third-party logistics world. And uh, the first time I walked through a, a 3PL warehouse and, and saw 
you know, lumber next to electrical supplies next to Yoohoo chocolate drink. Uh, I was amazed, confused, and challenged uh, by really the opportunity to to hopefully bring some of the technologies that had been evolving uh, for a number of years into the 3PL world. And I still feel there's a there's a lot of catch up uh, that the 3PL world is trying to do with the rest of the supply chain world. But I think that has has been my motivation over the years is to you know to really provide a a set of solutions that are appropriate for the 3PL challenges that you know also encompass and mirror what's going on in, in the broader supply chain. Awesome. Those are three great introductions. And I think what comes through loud and clear with all three of you, in addition to sort of wealth of talent and experience is, is vision and, and that entrepreneurial spirit applied to that vision. So on that notion of vision, what are some major emerging technologies that the three of you envision shaking up the industry in 2024? And then maybe across the next five years? And we know that's a huge question because it's probably multi-pronged answers, but um, I'm not going to put that out to any one of the three of you in particular, just sort of a general question to get us started. So whoever wants to take that on first, please go right ahead. I'm happy to take that one right away. And I think it's very obvious, right? If you look out into the market today, what is everyone talking about? Everyone is talking about artificial intelligence and everyone is talking about the ability for systems to learn and interpret data and then give users insights about that data and beyond just insights, being able to interact with a computer without having to learn how to program. If you think about sort of the progression of technology over the past 50 years or so, right? It, it always had moved further up and up the stack, becoming more and more abstract. 30 years ago, you would have to write very complicated low-level code to just make a computer do a simple thing and store some information in a database. Nowadays, you can talk to a system in human language, and that system can do things for you. It can interpret things for you. It can even give you recommendations on what you should be doing and do those things on its own as well. And that's incredibly exciting. And it's it's really, it's time for this industry to, to really be moved forward by something like this, because it has such a big impact on the entire economy, right? Warehouses, logistics companies, it's the backbone of the economy. And in that sense, like bringing this technology to this industry is incredibly important nowadays. Yeah, um, that barrier to entry being lowered, right? Just lowering that barrier to entry for for all users to be able to take advantage of that technology. Fantastic. I think I cut somebody off. So who, uh, who wanted to jump in? I was just going to add on to what Mark said, where I think 2023 was such an interesting year for AI, where we went from prototype to production and there was a lot of experimentation and we started to sort of like tackle questions around use cases and cost and compliance. And uh, similar to Mark, I think 2024 is going to be the year where we see those experiments translate to production facing applications that we've gone from a focus on general purpose gen ai tools and now starting to focus on sort of enterprise building specialized tool to answer and solve real world problems and similar to mark i think that's you know it's probably a low-hanging fruit but that i think is obviously the trend that i'm, I'm most interested in 2024 and seeing how that you know the, the 2023 prototyping starts to translate to the logistics space because I think similar to market it kind of has to happen and it's it's going to happen and it'll be interesting to see where that sort of breaks out and in, in the most obvious way. I love the enthusiasm behind that and uh, yeah, it is it is coming and it's going to break out in a big way. Chris, maybe our elder statesman of the three, would you like to? Give your perspective with you know, your 30 plus years in the business. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the topic that we're having right now about AI is is one that is really kind of an interesting one because some of the challenges, there's a lot of technologies that are 
you know, kind of becoming, you know, a mainstay of a lot of organizations now, especially in the the e-commerce world, uh, the use of robotics for picking, and you're you're starting to see this more and more. And these technologies are not necessarily new. Uh, I, I think what AI does, uh, as well as some some different financial modeling for the way that some of these technologies can be acquired by organizations, is kind of bridging the gap for, you know, especially some of the the smaller organizations who want to take advantage of these technologies, but have ne- not, they probably haven't had the financial resources to afford them, big capital investments, and in, certainly in a 3PL world where you're dealing with, you know, contract to contract for customers, it's very hard to cost justify some of these technologies, as well as the, the technical challenges that many organizations have internally in terms of their own staff. So, you know, initially when Mark talked about, you know, the ease of implementation of some of the AI tools, I feel like that's going to help bridge the gap and, and allow some of these organizations that are technology challenged to bring in some technologies that don't actually require you to have to build out an IT team or a development team in order to take advantage of and make use of these resources. So I, I do feel that some of the other technologies that have been around for a while, like robotics, and, and now we're seeing drones more and more, I think those are going to become more attainable, even though they're not necessarily new technologies. So in terms of trends, we'll start seeing a lot more of that based on you know leasing these technologies as opposed to buying these technologies and the use of AI to help implement these technologies. So we did not script that out. And that's a perfect segue to my first targeted question towards Sean. So Sean, kind of piggybacking off of what Chris was just speaking about with access for small and medium-sized businesses, how do you see those smaller businesses utilizing these emerging technologies so if a smaller company was looking to implement, you know, one or two new technologies, what would you suggest they start with? Yeah, I think Chris has hit the nail on the head there as well. I think he couldn't have put it better. And I'd say exactly the same thing. I think we're going to see a lot more of those things becoming more prevalent in the small to medium businesses who have previously, yeah, like Chris said, don't have spare capital drop tens of thousands of dollars on these sorts of solutions. And I think the reality is that this the uptake on some of these robotics data tools has been slower in that space because they do run things pretty lean and they are potentially limited by resources and also don't have full IT teams um, to take advantage of those. So I completely agree with what, what Chris had said there. I, I think that the, the one that I'd be you know, suggesting the businesses start with is uh, making sure that they've got and not, you know, I think assuming they've got the right systems in place and focusing on their own tech stack is, is, basically starting with the data foundation. And if you don't have a strong data foundation, then they're not going to be able to effectively incorporate AI or these autonomous sort of drones or MHG as, as they start to become more accessible to them. But if they don't have that sort of data strategy and that consistency and integration between the tools that they're using and what their customers are using, I think they're going to find it very, very challenging to incorporate these as they potentially become available from a price perspective. They might not be able to become available from a technological perspective. So I think it starts with the data foundation. And I think that, you know, maybe that is sort of focusing on integration. Maybe that's looking at, you know, um, some of the tools that are out there that help you unify across multiple systems because we are in generally a, a best of breed cloud-based Um, software space uh, and the way that these systems connect together is becoming more and more important. And I think for small, medium businesses, finding solutions that talk to each other, but also finding ways that they can leverage through either AI tools or sort of services, businesses that they can kind of use and turn on and off that help them access the skills they need to build their business and kind of develop 
that strategy in the right way, I think that's going to be the thing that's going to set up the small, medium businesses to potentially be able to outcompete the larger businesses as things scale. And as they get access to some of the same technologies, they should be more agile. And if they make those decisions now, I think they can set themselves up for long-term success. And again, I think that uh, kind of teases us back up to a lot of back over there for, for Chris here. So speaking of data, how are data analytics and business intelligence being leveraged right now to improve warehouse decision-making? And how can a WMSA provide key data points for businesses going into 2024 and beyond? As Sean said, maybe not in these words, but I think in certainly what he implied, data is king. And and, and the interesting thing is that many of the, the technologies that are out there today, especially from a warehouse management standpoint, have had this data for a long time. So it, it's usually not the question of, collecting the data. It's accessing the data. It's using the data. It's getting the data into the hands of the people that can can do something with it, can make decisions. I think in terms of the actual decision-making, the, the same things apply. I think the one interesting thing I found about the third-party logistics space is that they have figured out how to run an uh, efficient, profitable business for years without the use of technology. So I think that we talked earlier about how they run lean, and they do. However, they've never really had the data to back it up. So things like uh, space optimization and labor optimization have always been part of the, you know, the business strategies of these organizations. They just haven't had the tools to really help them do it in, in a way other than Excel spreadsheets and you know, the big data data sheet printouts. So uh, I feel like uh, whether it's the, the data itself, the way that the data is used and, and, uh, and processed either through AI tools, uh, like we discussed earlier, or uh, dashboards, or just putting the data into the hands of people will help them uh, manage the space. And this is this is a topic that not go, not only goes towards the profitability of or, an organization, but as we'll talk about later, sustainability as well, and being right. able to you know maximize how uh, how resources are being utilized. Uh, that data is there. Um, but having the right platform that will allow you to not only propagate that data into the right places, but share that data with customers that are going to become increasingly uh, more demanding of access to the data that you have that they don't, uh, and your ability to make decisions based on data that you don't have that they do, uh, and therefore having that that base data platform uh, that we just discussed, I think, is a is a really key element in terms of being able to make those decisions more effectively. Can I jump in here with just a Quick, quick question to you, Chris. You've you've seen the transformation of software and gone through that whole process of you know on-prem to cloud. It was like one big massive shift in how software has changed. Now we have this other potentially even much larger fundamental shift in how software works with giving people much better access to not just analyze data, but also do things in software. And you mentioned you have all the data in your in, in the WMS, for example, already today as a 3PL, how do you see that change your the strategy from a pure software vendor perspective and what you need to be able to bring to your customers? Because now all of a sudden, right, that data that might be locked in a database and can only be accessed through your own internal reporting tools, a customer might want to be able to integrate into some additional workflow or some additional tool that they can actually build themselves rather than having to hire consultants to to do that because you just talk to GPT and it will give you a Python script and instructions on how to deploy it to trigger some action or automatic email or PDF import export from into one of your systems. So how do you see that effect from a strategy side, you know, how you think about your product and the software that you offer to this industry 
which in the past has been very constrained by the technology it's it's been using. Well, uh, again, if I, I hope you all understand that my focus certainly for the last you know thirty or forty years has been on the third party logistics space, and so for us from a technology standpoint. The early years, if you want to call it that, maybe while you guys were still in grade school, was building out the the functionality and the capability of the software itself in terms of operational support processes, wave picking, batch picking, task interleaving, um, use of RF uh, barcoding technologies. A lot of that stuff has been in place for a long time, but then making that that technology configurable so that in a third party environment. You know, you may have somebody who's doing full pallet shipping over here, but wants to do B2C over here. So much of the focus over the past, you know, 15 or 20 years for us has been not only creating that capability in the software, but making it configurable enough so that they don't have to hire consultants to go do mod software modifications to handle a, a new set of customer requirements. In terms of going forward, specifically to your question, uh, our focus has been on how do we make the best use of that data? And, and in the old days, it was crystal reports. It was, you know, how do we give our users the ability to customize the, the way that they want to see the data that has evolved into dashboards? We thought that we could create a set of dashboards initially that would meet everybody's needs. And we found out very quickly that everybody wanted to see something differently. So then it was, how do we put the dashboard tools into the customer's hands? You know, tools like iDashboards and those types of things have become very prevalent. And then the demand was, well, but we want to not just be looking at the WMS data. We want to, for example, in order for us to really truly understand our labor force, we want to be able to integrate with a time clock system. And that data exists somewhere else. So now how do you match up that, that data that you have in your warehouse management system and make it open enough so that a third-party tool can access multiple systems, as you just said? So the focus for us has been not necessarily trying to predict what people want to see, but how people want to get at it and, and providing that base data set that we talked about earlier that is open, that is accessible, and through the use of the, the tools that you just mentioned, much more easily integratable, I guess, uh, with the other types of data, whether they're internal systems for the customers or, you know, I mean, for the owners of the warehouses or for your customers upstream uh, on the order side and, and making that data more accessible. So I think that's where the shift in terms of development and vision for the software has gone. It's really about the data and how to make that data uh, more accessible as, as opposed to trying to predict how that data is actually going to be used in the day-to-day -day applications. Chris, that's a a fantastic answer from a a much a much less seasoned uh, point of view, and it sounds to me really it's been a shift from sort of that, the the back end capability to really what we're talking about is a is a fantastic enhanced user interface and user experience. Even just your your multiple mentions of dashboards, just visually being able to interpret that data and then being able to modify it and customize it so that you're seeing exactly what you want to see on the customer end is huge. Any Anybody else want to sort of follow up on what Chris just had to say before we move on? I think we, we're in the same boat. I think we're obviously focused on a slightly different size of organization, but also similar to, to Chris, we're, we're, we're you know, relatively exclusively focused on the third-party logistics market. And that challenge of integrating data and kind of pro providing data to both the three PLs, but also to their end users in a way that is 
yeah, standardized enough that they can do what they want. That is a is a unique challenge, I think, for WMS providers focus on that third party logistics space because you have to also then consider what the end users are going to want to do with that data. Like Chris hit the nail on the head again before with, you know, sometimes the 3PLs will have data that the, the end users don't have. And we have sort of, you know, a multi-level of multi-layered sort of security access permission, also then like some other sort of commercial considerations that come into that in terms of like who's trying to sort of, you know, own, sell, support, provide that data. And yeah, we, we're trying to sort of, similar to Chris, go away from giving our customers reports and letting them give have the tools that they need to do whatever they want with their data inside or outside of the system. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting challenge. And especially when you add that extra stakeholder of the end, the customer, and then also potentially the recipient, the, the actual person who's receiving or, or sort of you know, tracking those goods. Um, it's, a, it's a unique challenge for us. If, if I could just add one thing, I think to, to Mark's question earlier, the other the other shift in terms of you know where the focus is if you think about the data and the way that it's been used in the past either through crystal reports or dashboarding it tended to be more historical uh, it tended to be more you know show us what we've done how did we do and how did we perform you know what did our labor look like i think what the 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 questions that we're being asked by some of our customers are how can we use this data to predict so that we can do it better in the future uh, things like having a, the ability to look at trends in terms of, of shipping and being able to staff your warehouses appropriately. As we all know, most of the 3PLs are cons, uh, constrained by uh, space and labor. Uh, so how did they get the most use out of it? And sometimes that means having the right labor at the right time. So when is the time that we want to bring on the temporary labor to handle the, the shipping demands as opposed to just looking back historically and saying, how did we do? And this, I think, also to, to Mark's earliest point about AI is where some of the opportunities lie is really the predictive analysis as opposed to the historical analysis. And on that, I'd love to be able to circle back to AI. And Mark, this is coming at you. How, for our listeners, is AI being used in day-to-day -day warehouse operations right now? And how can warehouses leverage that AI for, say, safer operations or any other you know, uh, key use. Absolutely. I want to talk about two different things here. And the first is we've heard a lot now about data. And I somewhat disagree with the other panelists here that, yes, there is a lot of data, but I don't think that data is that good. And I think that's one of the things we hear a lot about from our customers as well. You have to go back to 1952 when the first barcode was really used commercially. And that's still the technology that all these systems are running on today. You know a timestamp and what a person did based on a barcode scan, but that's about it. The way we apply AI to this problem is to capture all that data in between. So instead of just knowing that an employee obtained a pallet at 10.01 AM on January 10th, and then moved it somewhere five minutes later and dropped it off there. With AI and artificial intelligence, we can track and measure all the other things that happen in between. And that's only possible with AI because AI can make sense of much larger dimensional data. That sounds like a complicated word. What is much larger dimensional data? Think about an image, right? An image is many, 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 many pixels that all have different values. and. If you try to encode that, a barcode is just a timestamp and some information to that. It's like a tiny part of an image. If you were to compare it in the amount of data that's there. So by applying artificial intelligence to images, for example, 
you can capture way more information about what is happening all the time, not just when an employee enters data into a system. And with now that much better data, you can make much better decisions about how you coach, how you develop, how you measure your employees and your team, and how you improve your processes. I think the comment was made earlier that 3PLs are you know, profitable, but their average gross margins are in the 10% range. Right? If you compare that to other industries, it's relatively low. And all the customers we work with, they're on tight budgets. They can't spend all this money on people just to look at data and try to capture more things manually. They need to make do with what they have today. And with artificial intelligence, you can bring in technology that captures that information automatically and shows it to you. So on the productivity side, right, that would be things like identifying instead of just these two barcode scans are 15 minutes apart. Here's the route that this person took on the forklift. Here's how many times they stopped. Here's how safely or unsafely they drove during that time. Here's how many cases they obtained based on actually what the camera saw and what the AI identified from the video stream. Now it's not just productivity, right? It's not just all about your cost per case, your cost per pallet. The most important thing is making sure that every employee who's already so hard to find to work in your warehouse also is working in a safe way and leaves the warehouse at the end of the day in the same condition, the same health that they showed up in the morning. And that's where the safety piece comes in. So from a safety side of things, and just to take a bit of a tangent away from the WMS and data discussion, the, the current status quo and safety in warehouses is, in my opinion, challenging, right? If, if you don't have visibility in a 1.5 million square foot building with 150 forklifts, then you are going to have a hard time, but you're going to have the same challenge if you're in a 50,000 square foot building with three people driving forklifts, because one person taking a forklift out the dock door is going to be a significant issue from a liability side, from a safety side, from a health side. So how do you bring that visibility to what happens all the time without paying people to monitor everyone else all the time? That's where AI can come in. So what we do is we deploy camera sensors and these camera sensors go on, for example, your forklifts, they go in the ceilings of the warehouse, they go outside the warehouse, they go into the yard trucks. And these camera sensors use AI to automatically measure what's happening and then report when something is happening that should not occur. And when I say should not occur, that can be all the way from your significant accidents and collisions and unsafe things down to more nuanced things like driving with your cell phone out or not looking in a direction of travel while you're moving backwards. And those things are now opportunities for you to coach your employees on much richer data than you ever had available before and make much more actionable decisions about who you coach and how you coach them. And that's what artificial intelligence enables because it allows us to capture all this data, process it automatically without a person having to sit in front of a monitor, monitoring 120 different forklift cameras every single second, but instead using the AI to make sense of all that super complex, super high dimensional data and then let you focus on deploying your resources, which are already constrained on the most important and most critical discussions and coaching moments that you might have every single day in the warehouse. So AI is providing as many pixels in that larger image that we want to be able to see of our warehouse. I love that analogy. That works really well. Gentlemen, any any comments, reactions to what Mark had to say there? I think I think Mark makes a, a great point about the the role and value of certainly what AI and, and, and one track can bring inside the warehouse. But I I would I would just say I think that that data set and looking at what that camera sees when it's taking a pallet from 
A to B still is, is a super valuable. And I think if you can incorporate that into the, the broader scheme of what the 3PL is looking at, that's valuable. But I, I still think it misses that lens of customers' capacity, what's actually what's actually in there, how much are you making on that, what's that customer's kind of profile. Uh, and I think you really need to tie those sorts of insights with the data that, yeah, look, I, I can understand what Mark's saying. And I think he's right around just a timestamp and, and a power position isn't super valuable. But I think that the holistic profile you can build of a customer and, a, and an operation with the data that does exist in the warehouse is probably the, the space that can really change that 10% margin more, more dramatically because you can focus on winning the right customers and getting away from potentially a, a sense on, on, a, on a pick sort of conversation and taking the right customer profiles for your operation, Just offering them the right services, getting away from you know efficiency-based and trying to go to more value-based conversations with customers. But I, I think that the, the the stuff that OneTrack's doing is absolutely part of a you know a strategy for a 3PL. I just think that it, it you know still needs that data that is sitting in the warehouse and uh, in the WMS and in the customer systems themselves. It definitely does, and in no way did I mean to you know say that the WMS data is not useful, but it's just it's just one part of the overall equation of what happens in there, right? And so we often work with our customers to get all that data into a single place, which is one of the biggest challenges too. You might have a WMS, you have an LMS, you have a TMS, then you have an ERP where you're receiving your orders from the customers. Somebody's printing out the PDFs, typing them into your WMS to process everything. There's a lot of different systems in logistics today. And I think it's one of those few industries right now where there, there's just a lot of mystery because there's so many different systems and places where people have to do things manually. And uh, I'm excited about, you know, connecting all those things together in the future for, for the customers ultimately to, to increase those margins and increase the profitability and the service to their clients. Mark, how, how far do you see that leap being from, I guess, the, the camera and the AI and the safety elements of what tra OneTrack's bringing to a, I guess, a fully driverless or autonomous vehicle being able to perform those same, same tasks? The, the challenge of, Autonomous forklifts, and I, I want to go back to the comment of, you know, I might have been in grade school at that time. Actually, I probably wasn't even born when autonomous forklifts have been around, and they've been around for a really long time. When I was at, at BMW, they had autonomous tuggers driving around in the factory that were installed in the 80s, and I was definitely not around at that time. And so, you know, the technology of autonomous mobile robots in, in whatever shape or form has been around for a really long, long time. And I regular, regularly also talk to logistics companies that might be overseas in Europe, for example, where they have very different perspectives on, on labor and the cost of labor, but also the long-term uh, horizon of the, some of the contracts that they work with. And so when you're a 3PL and you have a customer on a three-year, five-year contract for a building and you need, to, you need to get all the equipment, hire all the people, set up all the systems, it's difficult to, to validate an investment, not just for the hardware itself, for the for the autonomous forklift, but then also everything that needs to happen around it, right? You need certified and specialized maintenance technicians for that. You need to integrate it into your WMS. You need to make sure all the packaging never changes and the weight doesn't exceed. You have challenges with shrink wrap and all, all those things. So it's less of a challenge of technical, it's more of a challenge of the integration side of things. And can you make it work quickly enough where it's truly profitable and you have a return within that short time frame that you're working on? As a, as a 3PL often here in the US. If you're working on a 10-year, 20-year, 50-year time horizon, it's a very different calculation to invest in full automation 
than if you are working on a three-year, five-year contract. I think those those challenges are the same challenges here in the United States as they are in Europe, you know, especially in the 3PL world. The the uncertainty of the contracts from, you know, the 3PL customers is has really for a long time driven, you know, the reluctance to to go down that path. But I, I think in general, if I could just kind of sum up what we've said here, I think you know, Mark, your point about the data, I, I think that what we're seeing is an evolving role that has yet to be realized by many of the technology companies in, in the use of AI and where it can come into play. And, and we're going to see that change over the next five years. And I think everybody's going to get smarter about how they do things and how decisions are made. And, and the use of AI will probably speed a lot of that that innovation for our customers as time goes on. So I have no doubt that the types of decision-making and, and processes that you're implementing with the, the safety side will ultimately impact, you know, how we decide the most efficient way to pick orders uh, and batch them together or where we ship product from. Uh, you know, if for many of our companies that have multiple warehouses, um, you know, the whole distribution fulfillment model and, and trying to identify the best way to do that. I think that AI will have a tremendous impact on the way that we do all of those things. However, I also feel that there are always going to be islands of automation. There are going to be things that certain systems do better than other systems. There's labor management systems that, you know, just focus on whether it's the engineered labor standards or that that maybe a WMS, which is more of a kind of a jack of all trades type of a software, maybe it, it does a lot of things well, but it doesn't do anything really well. And some of these specialized systems are going to exist. You know, the, the SAP model for me has shown that there's no way to create a system that does everything well. And so to me, where AI is really going to come in, in into play is the ability to integrate these data systems that we are going to continue to live with in any given environment where there will be multiple systems and the way to integrate that data and get the most out of the combination of those data, as opposed to you know saying that it's going to create a, a super system. I just don't see that in the next five to 10 years. And, and again, how long has SAP been you know, touting that they're they're all things to all people, and we've all made lots of money off of failed SAP implementations. So it'll be pretty interesting to, to, to see what the pace of the implementation of AI is going to be with some of these uh, supporting technologies. All of this ultimately depends on the people, though. I mean, we talk a lot about AI and the technology side of it, but ultimately none of these tools are going to be valuable if you don't have people who adopt it. We're excited about the opportunity and the value that it brings and the efficiency as well, right? When you think about your typical day as a operations manager in a warehouse or as a supervisor in a warehouse, what does that look like today? What is it going to look like in that five-year time horizon? I think those are the areas where there's just massive opportunity. It's going to address many of the, many of the challenges and help 3PLs with retention, with employee development, because you can bring much better feedback to those employees at the right time, rather than having to wait or rely on somebody else to bring that information or that data to them. So I think the people side is really important with all of this too. I think that's something we didn't get to before, but that five-year time horizon is going to be very interesting because you know I know we've used one buzzword already with the AI, but this whole spatial spatial computing and and sort of the whether you want to say AR, VR, or, or like whatever this you know these headsets land in the next couple of years. One of the areas I can really see that playing out is flipping that whole switch from needing people to adopt it and making it so intuitive that there is no adoption. There is no training. It's just, you know, it's starting to sort of become the the iPhone experience that we had when we first went to touchscreen 
phones where you use 30 second ad and you knew how to use the phone. How's that going to start, you know, coming prevalent in every system? And there's very few systems as complicated from a, in a logic and process perspective as WMS and logistics and supply chain. But are we going to see that spatial computing play out to completely change the way a user interacts with the warehouse and what that operations manager's day looks like? might start to become you know, a combination of what OneTrack is doing in the background, but actually on an individual basis as well. And potentially that's going to incorporate activities and tasks. And I think, you know, Chris mentioned it before, it could change the way we look at the way we pick an order, the way that we, you know, structured warehouses and, and sort of set up distribution models. And, and that five-year horizon is, is not, not crazy to see some of those things maybe starting to become embedded in the way that work actually gets performed day to day. It, it's already here today. So we... One of the things, as you mentioned, the sort of that real-time access to the information. We talked about labor management and engineered labor standards. The problem is how do you get that to the employee at the right time when they're actually performing the work, when they're struggling, when they're stuck on the process? One of the things we've rolled out is self-coach. So if you're an employee on a forklift of one track, our system will automatically ask you if you need assistance or help and provide you with coaching feedback as you're going through your day. That might be something simple as when you're coming back from lunch and you're idling after you sign back into work or something more complex as while you're stuck in a picking process with picking task with the ability to then either escalate it up automatically or provide context and information right at that time to those employees. And so you're at some point you're, you're taking away many of the bottlenecks of having to have another person involved in a process who may or may not understand the data exactly, who's already spread thin with 10, 15 people reporting to them and managing and supervising them. So I think there's there's a lot and it's already here today. It's it's not just in the future, it's it's already there. Uh, absolutely, Mark. And I think that it's it's absolutely there in certain sort of um, pillars in, in the operation. And I think that's going to become more ubiquitous and potentially be unified into single platforms and incorporate the sorts of insights that you guys are providing with something that might be being pushed from a WMS that actually is, you know, providing, uh, hey, this order is, you know, close to an SLA, I need you to go and do this, or, you know, I or like identifying damaged stock and, and getting the user to go and say, actually, there's a task here that needs to be performed and capturing the charges and the efficiencies that go along with that. So, no, I, I appreciate you, you're bang on that's already here. And I think that's, you know, that five years is not crazy to see that becoming the primary way that the user is kind of operating their day-to-day -day, uh, tasks. Gentlemen, I'm I'm glad we started touching upon sort of the personnel, you know, inside the warehouse, interacting day-to-day -day with with the emerging technologies. And at least in my experience over the last few years inside of, you know, a warehouse million plus square feet, observing my ops manager leaning and relying more and more on the IT team. And I'm wondering if, you collectively have some recommendations uh, in terms of what skills the IT guys coming either into logistics or are currently in there looking to, to further their professional development and add more value to their warehouse operations. Um, what would those skills, where, th where should their focus be right now, if we could kind of distill that down for the, the IT guys inside operations? Well, I think knowledge is power. Uh, I think there's there's clearly a lot going on uh, on the technology side that it's hard to keep up with for any one individual. I mean, even within the context of this conversation, having the the experience that I have, there are things that I'm I'm learning, uh, you know, from Mark and and from Sean. And I think that staying on top of things and and having a good understanding of what's not only available but applicable. You know, the 
the the pace of change in any organization is ultimately dictated by the ownership and you know sometimes it's as much educating the technology people as it is educating the business owners some of the biggest challenges we've had in in deploying technology that we knew was better than what was currently in place and could provide greater levels of profitability than what most 3PLs were you know experiencing was really the the inability or the unwillingness of some of the business owners to be willing to implement that change and to to really drive that change if it if it's a technology guy that's trying to drive the change and the rest of the organization is is pushing back it's never going to happen we've seen some great software be crippled by a lack of support uh, from a champion uh, in the organization so maybe that's a little far afield of, of what your question is but certainly having somebody who understands what these technologies are but also understands the customers and the specific needs because not all technology is appropriate for you know every distribution operation or every you know third party customer uh, implementation so it's probably i think mark talked about earlier the lesser dependence on being a technology you know, like uh, certainly over my time, uh, some of the developers that we had were the most important people in the organization. And if they were ever on the same bus together that got hit, we'd, we'd be in trouble. So now I think the dependence on that is going to become lesser and lesser. And, and it's more about an understanding of operations and what those technologies are and the best way to help implement them. One, one thing I would add there, and I want to go back to the binoculars from earlier, right? The binoculars that were used to find misplaced pallets in, in, in the high bay rack warehouse in the, in the factory. There are a lot of problems in warehouses that don't make it all the way up the organization. Low hanging fruit, things that cost a ridiculous amount of money that nobody knows about. And there's a lot of high level talk about technology needs to go in this direction and systems need to be able to do AI and analyze all the data and give you recommendations and all that. But from a tactical side, if you're a 3PL, the way I would approach it is I would try to figure out a way to get your IT team, all your operations team, your engineering team, everyone together and get all the way down to the very base level of what is keeping our employees from being the most productive they can be. And then work backwards from there, because in many cases, the systems that you already have might be able to support that, or maybe a small addition or way to use the data can help you make giant leaps. And by getting these proof points and what you can do with this rapid iteration, hands-on approach, building new systems, automations, tools, which is especially accessible today, you can show the rest of the organization, you can show the ones who are questioning why you might be bringing in some additional system or integration platform or AI platform like OneTrack to show them what's possible with technology and the visibility you gain and the improvements you gain, not just financially, but also for the experience of your employees, of your associates on the floor every single day. And, and that is almost one of the most important things. You need to bring that one day build is what we call it here at OneTrack. When we have a new idea, we try to create some type of prototype within a day. And if we can get some type of traction, some type of improvement from that, then you can show to the rest of the team, this is something that shows opportunity. So like bring that rapid, rapid iteration mindset to these challenges and focus on the low hanging fruit. There is so much out there from Wi-Fi connectivity to observation processes, data capture, anything that's done on pen and paper today from your OSHA checklists to to your labor studies and time studies and spaghetti diagrams, you name it. 
and you now have a tool with AI and, and GPT that allows you to do basically anything without having to hire any additional specialists or or engineers. I want to sort of shift to sustainability just for just for a moment here, knowing that sustainability is at the the forefront of conversations in a lot of warehouses. Are there any specific technologies or innovations that from your perspective are contributing to greener warehouses, more sustainable operations? Yeah, I, I think one of the themes that was very prominent last year at the Manifest Conference in, in Las Vegas was potentially a, a shift in user in sort of consumer expectations away from fastest, cheapest to sometimes accuracy and more control and autonomy. And and there are certain, I guess, post um, like post pick kind of platforms are starting to be able to give the person receiving the goods a little bit more control over when and how they're being received them. That is also allowing, for, um, I think warehouses and sort of freight companies to be able to deliver maybe some more consolidation or more efficient sort of like services along the way. So rather than having to ship everything in individual parcels next day, potentially being able to kind of like space things out a little bit, get better utilization of, of assets, uh, more efficiency through that process. Uh, and I, and I, I think that, you know, obviously there's been, you know, paperless and uh, sustainable packaging and those types of things that are, that are coming through. But I think that potentially a shift towards, you know, obviously more efficient, more accurate, but like more control for the user might help to reduce some of the wastage that's going into that with underutilized vehicles, vehicles going to the same space a couple of days a week, inefficient sort of picking practices there. But I'm hoping that that might actually see a change in the industry away from the yeah, fastest, cheapest to, to something that might see a better utilization, more efficiency and have a, a sort of a whole overarching impact on the sustainability. I'm always surprised when I hear about the stories of, yeah, this trailer came back because we put the wrong pallets on there. And now I've got a trailer full of pallets, a product that was shipped to the wrong customer or not packed correctly. The shrink wrap was not on there the right way that it should that it should have been. And in a way, right, when you think about the impact of that on emissions and cost and extra wasted resources, sometimes that if it's food product, you might not be able to use it anymore that trailer of, of food is going straight to the dumpster because you don't know where it went and what happened to it and if it was cold enough or not. So there's a lot of opportunity just by getting those small processes in the right place and getting some additional tracking and visibility on what is being shipped and loaded. And that's the correct, that it is the correct thing as well. And that can have a massive impact. On, on that, just from a 3PL execution operations side of things. Yeah, I think the WMS, certainly one of the things that we focused on for a long time, some of these are not new concepts. Uh, so whether it's accuracy, like uh, Mark and Sean have just talked about, or optimization, you know, the, the again, the labor and the material optimization really plays into sustainability as, as much as it does into profitability. Being able to reduce labor, re reducing the carbon footprint, you know, ma making sure that you have the right material uh, in the warehouses and not more than what you need. You know, it's interesting what what COVID taught us about the lean supply chain and and what the impacts were of having, you know, really minimal inventories in the warehouses. And then of course everybody overreacted and they had too much inventory in the warehouses. But I, I think that level of optimization, it, it's easy to see. Uh, what the impact on sustainability would be by being able to optimize both labor and materials. And then, of course, you know, reducing paper in as many places as you can kind of plays towards the the recycling and 
in that aspect. And we haven't even talked about things like, you know, lighting and HVAC and skylights and energy efficient lighting. More and more as I walk through warehouses these days, you see all these dark spots and it's like, oh, those lights are out. Now they're, they're motion activated. So uh, we've seen a lot of our customers adopt those technologies as well. And, and probably we're, we're not seeing as much in the way of uh, sustainability that, you know, some of the technologies that we're talking about can do as we're seeing with some of the discussions we had about, you know, robotics and AI. And I think that that, that will catch up as well, but those seem to be the main areas that, that I'm aware of that organizations can, you know, lean more towards sustainability. I think that's right on point, Chris. From, from my experience, we did see a lot of that transitioning over to better lighting, more efficient uh, HVAC systems. And it, it was encouraging to see also going, we are still shuffling product around too often from one warehouse to another within the network because we hadn't optimized our space usage. So I'm I'm really excited to sort of see that get aligned as well with some of the things that are happening underneath the roofs of, of the warehouses. Last question, and kind of I want to kind of keep it general, but I also want to be able to look at it from uh, both inside and outside the warehouse perspective. So obviously all you guys are interfacing with warehouse customers on a daily basis. What are you noticing that they're coming to you for? What what are their biggest demands on the technology side versus perhaps your perspective as what they might benefit most from? And are those things aligned? Is there a gap between the two? I guess I'll go ahead and start. Um, the I, I think there's a, a big difference between what customers are asking for now versus you know, what would ultimately help them the most. I, again, there, there always seems to be a lag, uh, at least in my experience in the 3PL space, in terms of the available technologies and opportunities for efficiencies versus, you know, where they're at in the learning curve. So the types of things that we're getting asked a lot about, obviously robotics uh, is a big one we're seeing. And again, I think the big shift there came from the manufacturers who have taken on the hardware as a service model, as opposed to, you know, the capital investment model. I think that's had a big impact on the, the ability to actually deploy this technology in a way that, you know, wouldn't be uh, cost prohibitive for, you know, some of the, the 3PL organizations that we've been dealing with. Uh, and, and probably larger organizations as well outside of the 3PL space. But we've also seen a, a big shift towards integrations to, you know, the the the, the more fulfillment and um, B2C types of technology, shopping cart integrations, and and having to deal with some of the, the, the different ways that product is processed in the warehouse for that B2C model. Another big byproduct of COVID was everybody wanted to be Amazon. You know, the, the, the stores that have been dying slowly in the strip malls are dying even more quickly now and and everything is being done online so a lot of the demands that we're dealing with our customers trying to figure out the best way to implement you know b2c solutions and attract and compete with other organizations you know back 10 20 years ago it was the walmart effect everybody wanted to to try to be like walmart or do business with walmart well now it's the amazon effect and uh, everybody wants to be able to deliver product the way they do but even amazon is learning i mean it used to be the the prime delivery i'd, I'd get something sometimes the same day the next day and and you knew that wasn't sustainable. I mean, you just think about the paper and the packaging that, you know, comes from, you know, one tube of toothpaste that you ordered and it shows up on your door that day or the next day. So even Amazon is getting smarter about the way that they're grouping orders together and trying to be more efficient. I think that kind of dovetails 
uh, into what we're talking about here, at least for my customers, the B2C impact, you know, for many of these um, customers, they're not doing business through Amazon, but they want to offer the same levels of service. So that's what we're being asked for today. But there are clearly other things that uh, could have greater impacts in terms of their actual day-to-day -day operations, in terms of profitability. And most importantly, I think we talked about it briefly uh, earlier, technology is a competitive advantage. And I think it's the key to the longevity of some of these operations and, and their ability to survive. And I think if the organizations embrace technology as a competitive advantage, as an investment, not a cost, uh, whether it's AI or any of the other technologies we've talked about, then they're going to be using that as an advantage when they're out there competing for business. Uh, and that is going to be their competitive advantage. It's certainly at a minimum, and it's what they need to do to keep up with the rest of the industry. So we, yeah, and we we work with a probably a smaller average sort of size customer than than what Chris and and his organizations would typically work with. And we're very much hearing the same things. It's it's you know everyone's trying to work out how to be the best e-commerce version of themselves that they can be. You know, play in the D to C B to C space. I think what we're seeing though is is a big shift in customer expectations to wanting ease of use and independence from their software vendors. They want to have the like, fantastic support and implementation service, but they want to be able to survive independently. I loved Chris's uh, phrase before, we've all made a lot of money off of failed SAP implementations. I think what we're seeing is there's a lot of failed or semi-failed WMS implementations in that 3PL space, especially with the SMBs, whether that was a previous warehouse manager that never got it live and it's gone now, or it's a, a system that's potentially not the right tool for the right job for those organizations. What our customers are coming to us on is wanting something that is more flexible that they can do with, you know, four or five hours of effort, not four or five weeks or months of effort that they're, they're accustomed to. That's what I think we're seeing from customers, and that, that's including integrations that they can do themselves that are flexible and and well suited to the you know B two C space. What I think the customers should also be thinking about is it probably dovetails nicely with Chris's last point is working out where they can have a competitive advantage either through their techn technology or service or a combination of both, and not try to be another Amazon, but try and work out ways that they can differentiate themselves from Amazon into segments, whether that's e-commerce is coming to you know additional covid you know accelerated into additional industries like food and beverage or, or whether that's differentiated offerings in, in solar panels or like going and finding segments that they have the solutions and technology and service to provide that they can get away from again sense on picks in e-commerce uh, and sort of protect their margins and change it to a value-based conversation with their customers so things like being able to provide more visibility into the warehouse through you know whether that's photos, tracking, visibility, whatever that looks like for them and their customers, but get away from copy-paste being just the Amazon fulfillment by a different name and going and kind of trying to own a market segment and being a bit more specialized because I think that's where we've seen the customers who are the most successful and the most profitable and have the best margins. With OneTrack, we sit in and have an interesting vantage point because we have both 3PLs as customers and we also have the clients of the 3PLs as our customers. And depending on who we work with, we see and observe different dynamics. When we think about the 3PL world, I agree that there is certainly a significant competitive advantage if you can position yourself in a way that you show we have this technology. In reality, what I'm seeing a lot too, though, is that a lot of the customers of 3PLs are setting the expectation for things they want to see. 
they want to be able to access data about their processes, about the people, about cost in real time every single day. They want to be able to get down to that granular level of visibility. And those demands certainly have changed over time, over the past couple of years, where in the past a report might be fine. Now you might want to be able to give real-time feedback on how you're changing and improving and your team is adapting to new things that show up every single day. There's a new fire in the warehouse, right? There's another thing to deal with and another problem to address. So I think the expectations certainly have changed a lot from that shipper manufacturer side of things towards the 3PLs, which opens up a massive opportunity for the 3PL to really position themselves in a strong way around the technology and not just using it as a way to attract attention, but truly being able to use it as a way to show this is how we are saving you more money by using this technology. This is how we can reduce the number of people we need to complete the same number of orders, or this is how we can increase the, the service level and reduce the damages that you might see of the pallets that we're shipping out at the end of the day. So I think that's something that I've seen a lot is just that expectation from the shippers, from the CP, especially CPGs back to the 3PLs to say, here's our AI strategy. How does your AI strategy match with that? What are your, what are your ways of using technology to help us better bring our product to the end customer and the end user? And that might be specific to the kinds of companies we work with today, but it's certainly something that we've seen a lot of. Chris, Sean, Mark, it's been a pleasure speaking with all three of you. And although you guys have not been in the same room together, not met prior to today, uh, you have great chemistry together. And it was a very stimulating conversation. I know I personally learned a lot and I'll probably follow up on a number of things that I've got written down here. Gentlemen, any final words uh, before we sign off? I think this is a great format uh, that the IWA has implemented. I think, uh, you know, dovetailing with all your education uh, initiatives. Uh, I found the previous episodes to be very informing. Uh, and I hope that you all continue this. I think it's a great opportunity for the warehousing members, but it's also a great opportunity for the vendor uh, members to uh, to share the knowledge and, and the things that they're dealing with that are probably, you know, day-to-day -day types of things that the warehousing companies have never heard of before. So I certainly would uh, congratulate you guys on taking this step and, and hope you continue it. And thank you for including uh, me in this and Mark and Sean. It's uh, It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you. I look forward to meeting you in person, uh, maybe at convention coming up soon. Uh, we'll, we'll be there. And thanks very much, uh, Will. And and, and so thanks very much, Chris. It's been great to meet you. And I think that coming from uh, originally being in Australia, New Zealand, I think the having a, a, a body like the IWLA for the logistics industry is such a massive asset. And I think that the work you guys do is great. Content like this is great. And and uh, if you ever want to set up an Australian branch, we know uh, 500 you know members who I think could be jumping to get on board. So uh, feel free to let us know. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. And I also just want to echo all that. Thank you for, for having us. We look forward to the IWA convention. And we're also just really excited to be part of this group. And if there's one thing I can I can say for everyone here as 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 advice and what you can think about is don't wait, act. The future is exciting. There's a lot of new exciting technology out there and you can do it too. Great message. The future is exciting. We will end it there. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time, for your expertise, for your passion in the industry. And for our listeners, thank you for being here and giving us your time and your ear. And we look forward to seeing all of you guys in upcoming IWLA events. Hopefully we'll see you all in Orlando for our convention in a couple months. Best wishes, take care, and we'll talk to you soon.